Good morning, everyone. My name is Stephen Frankie, and my wife, Nicole, and I will be starting, we're future community group leaders, uh, starting September 14th. And um, we live right in this neighborhood, just a couple of blocks away, and um, we're going to use that to our advantage in this neighborhood. And um, we hope that you'll join us. We're going to be focused on uh, equipping one another to go out there and evangelize, to share the gospel with those in the neighborhood while at the same time being a blessing to the widows, to the orphans, to all those that God has called us to be, to be blessings to. So the scripture today I'll be reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be uniform, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Father, first of all, we just thank you. We thank you that we're your bride, Lord, and you're coming for us. And we thank you, as the last song said, that your spirit lives within us, Lord. We absolutely love and praise you. And we just thank you, Lord, that you would choose to use us, Lord, us misspent objects, Father, that you would use us to bring others to you. We love you and praise you. Bless Pastor Tim today, Lord, in the message. And we just thank you, Father, that you speak through him continually, week after week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Well, if you think about reunions, uh, I'm sure all of you do, uh, reunions have a lot of things in common. Like any kind of reunion, high school, family, maybe you've been to those. And, and I don't know, for me, I've seen the same thing. One of the things you always see is that people try to get in shape last minute. And so the night before your reunion, you're rocking out 100 push-ups, right? And it doesn't actually help you. It just makes you sore and stiff when you talk to people. At least that's what I hear from others who try that. Um, but there's a lot of other things in common. We, we used to, before Facebook, we used to think, like, I wonder what somebody looks like. And then we have Facebook, and we don't need that anymore. We used to think, I wonder what people are up to. And we have social media, and so we don't have to ask those questions anymore. Like, we already know those things. But there's other things, too. One of the things is there's always those people who look exactly the same, right? And then there's always those people who look completely different, right? You don't even recognize them. And then there's always a couple people that you think about that maybe you knew that aren't with us anymore, that they passed away. And I know for me, I went to a reunion, and there was a friend of mine who had passed away a few years earlier, and as I would run into people and we'd catch up and we'd laugh and we'd share stories, eventually our friend Luke would get brought up and it would go silent. And nobody really knew how to act. Nobody really knew what to say. And it was this eerie feeling of the end. And I'm sure some of you have been to funerals and maybe you felt that a little bit. But when it's somebody close to you, it hits you on a different level. 
it hits you in a different way. When someone close to you, specifically close to your age, it hits you in a different way to think, wow, I'm going to end too. And you know that. You knew that. But it lands on you in a different way when someone close in your age dies. And you begin to consider the end. You see, what we're going to see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is that as we consider the end, it shapes the here and now. As we look forward to what happens in the end, it shapes the here and now. And we start asking questions like, how am I spending my time? Like, what really matters? Where is my hope, ultimately? And we start asking those significant questions when we're reminded of the end. And that's what Paul does in this passage. He's contemplating the end. He's contemplating how we view the end and our end. And so we're going to contemplate that really over the next two weeks. We can't cover it all in one week, so we're going to be talking about the end for the next two weeks. The first, uh, the first part is going to be today, talking about how we view it. The next part, next Sunday, is going to talk about how do we live in light of it. And so track with me, look at your text, 1 Thessalonians 4, and we'll dive in together. Starting in verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the first thing that Paul says is he doesn't want them to be uninformed. There's something he wants them to know, and he tells them the result. Look at the text. He says that, which indicates result, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He's saying, I want you to know something, and when you understand it, it will make you different from everybody else. And he hints at it already, just in this verse. He refers to the dead as those who are asleep. The death is not the end for the Christian. And so we grieve. Paul says that. We grieve, but we do it differently. Why? There's hope involved. As you look biblically, hope is confident expectation. So it's so different about Christians Maybe you've asked that, like, what's so different about Christians than anybody else? What's so different about this faith than any other faith? What's so different about Christians is that we have a hope even in the end. And that biblically we see hope is confident expectation. It's not just wishful thinking. There's a confidence and there's an expectancy. And we have that even in the end. And so Paul is saying we grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. That it is right to grieve, and you need to know that. Maybe you've lost somebody close to you, and maybe some people came around you and said, hey, just put a smile on it, just cheer up, because that's what Christians are supposed to do. This isn't supposed to be sad. You need to know they're wrong. You need to know they're wrong. Even Jesus, John 11, he weeps over, over the death of Lazarus. Lazarus. And what's interesting is Jesus is about to raise him back to life. And he knows this, right? Jesus knows. I'm about to raise this guy back to life. And he still weeps. That grief is good, healthy, and right. And so if you've lost somebody, you need to know. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel that disappointment. It's okay to think things aren't like they're supposed to be. Because they're not. Death wasn't the original idea. It's okay to grieve. But if you know Jesus, you grieve differently. You grieve with a confidence and an expectation of what's to come. You grieve with hope. Why? Look at verse 14. 
says this, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So why do we have hope in the face of death? Here's the reason. Look at the text. He says, for or because our guy beat it. Right? Did you know that? The reason we can have a hope in the end, the reason it's a confidence expectancy, is because Jesus died, but he came back to life. That our resurrection in the end is directly tied to the resurrection of Jesus. So we can be confident. It's not wishful thinking. We can be confident in this truth. But the reality this morning is I know that some of you are skeptical. Maybe you know Jesus, and the resurrection for you just seems so mystical. It seems kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Maybe you don't know Jesus, and you're like, man, I just I can't even imagine why people believe this. So maybe you're skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus. You need to know you need to hit that first. That you'll never understand a hope in your resurrection. You'll never understand a hope in the end unless you get the resurrection of Jesus. So if you're skeptical, we won't get into it all, but I would say this. No one in history disputes the death of Jesus. What people dispute is the resurrection. No one in history disputes the death of Jesus. What they dispute is what? That he came back to life. And so we have to ask the question, why didn't they find the body? You ever thought about that? If you, go, if you read scripture, if you read the gospels, you see how many people wanted to find Jesus out as a liar and a lunatic. You see throughout history, man, people try so hard to find this guy out. He was a liar. He was a lunatic. Everybody in that day, everybody since then that wants to find that out, why didn't they find the body? Well, some will say, well, the disciples probably stole it. And so let's just consider that. The disciples, fishermen, who didn't get a lot of things right, all of a sudden become master body snatchers. Okay? Well, let's just think about what that would look like. You have a massive tomb. You have Roman officials guarding that massive tomb because they wanted to make sure Jesus had gone around and said, I'm going to die three days later. I'm going to rise. You remember this in the Gospels? Jesus has gone around saying that. People hear him say that. They want to make sure he's still dead, that he stays that way. And so they tried really hard to make sure that was the case. It was a well-known tomb. So say you buy into, well, maybe somehow the disciples figured that thing out. Do you know what happens with the disciples? Do you know what goes on to become of their life? All of them either die for Jesus or risk their life for Jesus. All of them. Listen, you don't do that for a self-made falsehood. You don't do that because of wishful thinking. And we see an example of that in Scripture. Peter is a great example. John 18, this is Peter pre the death of Jesus, pre-resurrection. He's already denied Jesus once in this passage. Listen to what it says, verse 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself by fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Verse 26, he says, one of the, says, one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. So he remembers Peter being with Jesus. He says, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. 
You fast forward to Acts chapter 2. Jesus has died. He has risen. He has ascended to be with the Father. Acts chapter 2, Peter, same guy. Peter does this. He goes from a one-on-one conversation denying Jesus to preaching boldly to a crowd. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Same guy. You see a difference? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This is Peter, the same guy. Something happened, right? There was a radical difference. Something happened. Jesus rose from the dead, amen? Jesus is alive, and Peter senses that. He's experienced that. 500 people experienced that. They ate food with him. They walked around with him. And we say, well, where's the body? Like, prove that he didn't rise, and we can't. Like, nobody in history says that. Because something happened. Because Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He came back to life. And that's how you see Peter, a doubting disciple, turn into a bold proclaimer. That's how you see him going from a one-on-one conversation where he's like, I don't know. I don't know that guy. To preaching before a crowd, to later getting flogged, put in prison, all sorts of things, because he says, this is true and I've seen it. That Jesus rose from the dead. And so, listen, you have to decide at some point for yourself, am I going to believe this? But you need to know that once you do that, you can have confidence. That as we think about hope for the Christian, it's not just wishful thinking. That you can have confidence that Jesus rose from the grave. If you struggle with that, I would encourage you to go down a journey and study the historicity of the resurrection. To read the Gospels, to read the Bible. Have you done that? To go back and look and see the case to be made that Jesus is alive, that he rose again. And if he did that, listen... It changes everything. Verse 14 says, God will bring us with him. We'll rise just as he did. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus himself says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. You see, our confidence, our hope, it doesn't depend on you. It rests solely and securely on Jesus Christ and his finished work. As you think about the end, How do we have hope in that? How do we have a confidence in that? It's not because of anything you have done or can do. It's solely based on Jesus, that he conquered death, that he rose, and we will as well. We can be confident that death is not the end. So what should we expect? We have the confidence. What's our expectation? Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So look at the text, look at the screen. Paul says that we know death is not the end because the Lord spoke it. Verse 15, and we trust him. And because he will personally show up to guarantee it. Verse 16 and 17 says he's going to descend. He's coming back himself. That he will personally guarantee this. And that he's going to grab those who died first. And then he's going to grab us and take us with him. And so I know as we read that, there's all kinds of debate. Maybe you're familiar with some of it. Of like what happens in what order. Like what about the dragons? What about the beasts? Isn't there a lot of stuff like that? And we're not going to get into all that today. We can have that conversation afterwards. But I do think a lot of us have these questions as, as a pastor. Uh, I get these questions a lot, but we're talking about the end. What about our end? Like what happens in the meantime, right? Have you thought about that? Like what happens when we die and Jesus doesn't come back for a long time? What happens when other people we know that that's the case? Well, here's what Scripture says just in a few places. Paul doesn't address it here because I don't think that's his point here. But it is addressed in other places. 2 Corinthians 5, it says we are, when we are away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. So that means when you die, your body is dead, but your soul goes to be with God. The thief on the cross, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He doesn't say in a few hundred years, in a few thousand years. He says today you'll be with me in paradise. Romans 4, it says whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So when we die, what happens? We will be with the Lord. And that's our hope. And that's what Paul says should encourage us. That's what Paul says that the focus is for eternity. That not just our end, but the end. The focus is verse 18. So we can get lost in, in dragons and beasts. And is it pre, mid, post? Is there a rapture? All those kind of questions, and we can have that debate later. But you need to know the point for Paul is that when we die, when we have our end, we go to be with the Lord. When we experience the end, when Jesus comes back, that we're with the Lord. Verse 18, that's the focus. We will always be with the Lord. Who is that? That's an important question to ask. Who is that? It's the people who have died with Christ and those who have lived with with Christ. It's relationship forever. And there should be an expectation and anticipation for this relationship, for this eternal relationship where we're going to see Jesus face to face. We know that because Paul said this should encourage you. Like, speak these words to one another. Encourage one another. Specifically, when you experience doubt, when you experience pain, when you have questions, encourage one another. And so maybe as you look at the resurrection, maybe as you think about the end, there's fear. Maybe there is doubt. Maybe there are questions. Maybe you think I need to study more. Paul is saying the ultimate goal is, yes, do all of that. And I would encourage you to do all of that. But in the end, this should encourage you. The goal is not to confuse. The goal is to encourage. The goal is to give you a confident expectation in Jesus in the end. Because we need to be encouraged. Because there's lots of things that can discourage us. And it's not just death. Like our bodies are brittle. I mean, just the other day, my car was rattling. And I was driving down the highway and it sounded like my wheel was about to fall off. And when that happens, you think, I should probably stop and check that out. Right? So I pull over and 
I'm looking around, my tires look fine, and I look under the car, and I notice there's something kind of hanging down, dragging on the street, going like 70 miles an hour, which is not great. Um, and I can't really see what's obstructing it. I can't really see how to fix it. And so I do like a Mission Impossible and lay down, Tom Cruise it, and I lay down and kind of in a push-up mode, look under the car, and there's this big piece hanging down. And so I try to twist it off, and I try to put it back up in there. And then I get up, and immediately I have this aching pain in my neck just from laying down next to my car. And I felt like I was in a wrestling match. I have this pain in my neck, and then I go on. I don't really think about it. And later in the day, I'm walking the kids up the stairs to go to bed, and I'm like, Jaya, my lower leg is kind of numb. And she's like, did you do anything crazy today? And I was like, well, I, I laid down next to my car. <laughs> you think that was it? Like, it doesn't take much, right? Our bodies are brittle. Some of you have felt that, right? In way more extreme ways than I have. You felt like something's wrong with my body. Like things hurt that shouldn't. It doesn't function like it should. Some of you, that's a deep pain in your life and you want it to go away. You think my body is brittle and you think deep inside of you, it shouldn't be this way. Like it wasn't designed to be this way. It's been corrupted by our fallen nature. And we think about the pain of experiencing physically even that our bodies are brittle. We think about other things in life that are way more painful emotionally, spiritually. We think about things that we have done. We think about things that have been done to us. We think about things that have been done to others close to us that we don't understand. And we ask, and we ask God, and we ask other people, God, why? You're good, you're sovereign, why? Why does this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to a family member? Why did I do this? Why do I keep doing this? Why do these people do this to me? And we experience pain and we get discouraged. That's what Paul is saying. Encourage one another. That that pain you are experiencing, it isn't the end. Listen, you need to know that the hope of the Christian faith is that because Jesus rose, we will rise. That death is not the end for the Christian. That the pain you're experiencing, it's not the end. That we have a hope we have an encouragement that death is called the final enemy. Listen, death is called the final enemy, and Jesus beats death. Jesus conquers sin, death, and the grave. And so we can have hope, and we can have encouragement in that. The gospel gives us a picture of this hope. Luke 7, the widow's son dies in Luke 7. The funeral is already in progress. Jesus walks up. He says, I'm shutting down funerals today. He grabs the pallbearers. They're carrying the body. They're wondering, like, what's going on? Jesus tells the mom, you don't need to weep. And he raises the son back to life. That's just one example. That's just one picture of the hope that we have in Jesus. That death is not the end that Jesus died, but he rose again, that he conquered Satan, sin, and death, and we can encourage one another with those words. So as your body breaks down, as you experience pain in relationships, in your job, in your family, that you can have hope, that you can be encouraged, because your hope isn't in success. 
is it, it isn't a distraction. It's not even everything going okay for you. Your hope is in Jesus Christ, that he's going to make all things new, that he's going to make all things right, and he's going to bring you with him, that you're not left alone in this. So we have a hope. As you look to the end, you need to look to Jesus. You need to hope in the truth that it won't always be this way. That one day, Revelation 21, there will be no more tears, no more pain, and no more death. Do you think about that? Do you think about that day? That sadness may abound now, but in the end, joy will abound. That hatred may abound now, but in the end, love will abound. That death may abound now, but in the end, life will abound. That's the end for the Christian. That's the view and perspective that you should have. That at the end of the Bible, the last words in the Bible, so great. Jesus says, surely I'm coming soon. And we echo with John to say, amen, come Lord Jesus. That we look to this as a hope, that we have a confident expectation that this is our end, that life is going to abound, that love is going to abound, that we can hope and be encouraged by that on our good days. And listen, even in the bad days, that we can trust in that. So do we grieve? Do we grieve about our pain? Do we grieve about death? Absolutely. You need to grieve it. It's a healthy and right thing to do. You mourn with those who mourn. You cry. It's sad. It reminds us it wasn't supposed to be this way. We grieve that, but we don't grieve without hope. We grieve with a confidence and an expectancy that Jesus is going to come back. So that sounds great, but how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we look forward to the end with hope biblically? When Jesus left the earth, he says, one day I'm coming back. Here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm going to rescue from this rock. I'm going to take you out of this earth. We're going to escape together because this is crazy. He doesn't say that. All right, he says this. He says, meanwhile, while you pray, until I come back, I want you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. There's not just a hope in the future. There's a hope today because of the future, because of the end. It shapes our today. How do we live with hope? By the grace of Christ, by the power of Christ. We look forward to Jesus' resurrection. We look forward to our resurrection in the end. And we begin now living out that story of redemption. So we begin now becoming more like Jesus. We begin now, today. You go to other people that are in pain, you point others to the hope in him. You say, it's not wishful thinking. It's not just a positive viewpoint on life. No, it's a hope. It's a confident expectation that Jesus conquered death and that he's going to bring us with him, that we, that Jesus wins in the end. I was putting my kids to bed the other night, and um, I asked them, what do you want to pray for? Because we usually walk through that. And my six-year-old daughter immediately responds with something she no doesn't normally respond with. So what do you want to pray for? She said that God would come back tomorrow. And I said, well, that would be fun. <laughs> and she said, yeah, it would be like all the holidays wrapped into one. And I would just talk to Jesus all day, every day. And listen, I didn't prompt her to say that. 
I didn't say, hey, baby girl, can you give me an illustration for this week? Talking about some serious things. She just said it, right? It was amazing. On Tuesday night, she just said that. And I was like, write that down. Record that. It was amazing. I mean, literally, our first response was, what do you want to pray for? Like candy, friends at school, mommy and daddy to be nice to me, Ashwin to sleep through the night. Lots of things she could pray for. She sleeps in the same room with him, right? Lots of things she could pray for. She prayed that God would come back tomorrow. Do you anticipate that day? Do you have an expectancy for that day? Where you get to see your creator face to face. Where all the pain, all the tears, all the death has been wiped away. That we realize fully what it means to know Jesus and to be known by him. Do you anticipate that day? Do you anticipate that day when everything is going well? Do you anticipate that day when everything has gone bad? You need to. Because that is our hope. That is our encouragement. That's why Paul goes through this. It's not to be morbid. That's why we go through this. It's not to be just overly serious about death and these serious things in life. We go through this. We walk through this text. Because that's our hope. Because that's our encouragement. So you may look at your problems and they seem so big. But you need to know that Jesus is bigger, that he conquered death, that he rose again, that he ascended to be with the Father in heaven, and that that's our end too. And it's not based on you. It's not based on me. It's not based on our good works or our bad. It's based on the perfection of Jesus, realized when he resurrects in victory over sin, death, and the grave. So how do we respond to that? And we take hope, we take a confidence, an expectancy, and that Jesus is not only walking with you, but he's coming back for you in the end. Put your hope in him. Trust in him. Let's pray as we do that together. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for a heavy truth of the end. I thank you that we get to contemplate that. I thank you that we get to talk about that. I thank you that you make it clear in that, that there's victory, that you win, that death doesn't have the final say. God, I pray for these men and women this morning. Maybe they don't ever contemplate this. Maybe they contemplate this all the time because of pain in their life, physically, emotionally, spiritually. God, I pray across the board, that we would put our hope in you, that we would trust in what we see in this text, that this should encourage us, that Jesus Christ has the victory, that he's going to come back and he's going to make all things new and make all things right. And we can even pray, like, God, do that tomorrow. That would be amazing because we want to see you face to face. We want to know you forever and be known by you. Father, I pray that you would help us to see what that means practically today. How do we walk out of here and eat lunch differently? How do we love our spouse differently? How do we spend time with other people differently because of that truth? That we would take steps to begin to experience your redemption now, to become more like you now, to point others to this hope now because we have a hope and it's you. 
Uh, thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.